You're listening to Sharni Vision Podcast, a Punjabi lifestyle podcast where I spotlight a Punjabi living their aligned life. Sashri and welcome. I'm your host, Supreet Sohi, skin therapist and life coach. On Sharni Vision, I bring you a new guest each week to share their courageously aligned journey. My goal is to share their journeys and stories to awaken your inner lioness or lion to follow its soul's purpose. Let's join the conversation. Hello. Hi. Hi, Tipka. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. Good morning. Have you had your cup of coffee yet? I've had my coffee. The kids are gone to school, so I'm ready to roll. <laughs> Yay! I'm so excited. So where did you want to begin? Did you want to... I want to actually start from the beginning. Um, All right, let's your, do it. Your childhood. Um, uh, yeah, what you got into psychology major, everything. Yes, let's start from there. All right, perfect. So I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, that's where I spent majority of my childhood. Um, And from there, I went to college on the East Coast. I went to Boston University. Hello? Hello? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yes. If the screen blacks out, it sometimes cuts off. Oh, that's right. Okay, got it. I will keep, keep tapping it. Um, okay. Do you want me to start from the beginning? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, that's where I spent a majority of my childhood. And then I, after graduation, I went to college in Boston at Boston university where I studied psychology and advertising. And then from there, I sort of did the big city living. I did New York for years and then moved to San Francisco Um, and got into the tech space and the startup world, um, kind of focused on digital marketing. And most recently, my husband and I, with our two kids, made the move back to St. Louis uh, full circle with our two children, um, who are six and four now. Uh, So we are back to where it started. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So when you were in Boston, where that was your single life, basically, right? And it wasn't until San Francisco. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. Boston was sort of single life slash gray area with my now husband. Um, And then once we moved to San Francisco, it was, you know, sort of official. We were doing this. We were, you know, building, building a life together. Oh, that's so beautiful. And how did you guys meet? Uh, So we actually met in St. Louis growing up. So, um, you know, it was a pretty small sick community here so I'd say probably about you know 40 to 50 families um so it was pretty pretty tight-knit um a nice size community um and so we we met through through the community um our families were and are still great friends um my brother and my husband are are also great friends so um that is that is when our journey began (laughs) when we were pretty young that's so cute so when you went to Boston, um, what made you decide your majors? Yeah, so, you know, I've always been very interested in 
just people, relationships, behaviors. So psychology was sort of, um, it was sort of a natural fit for my, my interests. Um, and then advertising felt like a pretty, a pretty good complement to that. Um, you know, I, I was sort of thinking what types of careers would I pursue post-graduation um, and, you know, sort of going down just the psychology path didn't seem like the right fit at the time. Um, but advertising was also something that, that was very interesting to me and sort of understanding what makes people tick and purchasing behaviors and, and whatnot. So I, I decided to double up on that. Mm. How was um, TikTok? What was that world around? So TikTok actually did not, it was not existent, non-existent. Oh, sorry. Uh, Twitter, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so Twitter, um, so I joined Twitter, um, you know, pretty early on. The, the sales force when I joined there um, in San Francisco was, you know, under 50 people. It was very, very early, early days Twitter, which was yeah, an amazing experience. Um, and so when I was working there, I was there for almost five years and, um, I was working with travel partners specifically. So hotels, cruise lines, airlines, um, and essentially helping them to, you know, get their brand, um, built on the Twitter platform and teaching them how to market to customers, um, and whatnot. So it was, um, it was an incredible experience because the company, you know, I sort of saw it transform from pretty much not having any ad products to building an entire platform to working with these large uh, companies. Um, and so it was, it was a really, really fun time. Um, I feel like that's probably the career where I put my college degrees to use the most. <laughs> actually thinking about, you know, what type of tweet or, you know, image in a tweet might get a customer to click on you know, a link and actually go down a funnel and, you know, maybe book a cruise, maybe book a flight with you. So it was, um, it was a really incredible experience. Oh my God. It, talking about funnels, it's like, until you've been into that field, like knowing and understanding what it takes for marketing, you know, even when I remember learning about Facebook ads, I, my brain was like numb for a little while. Cause I'm like, I'm absorbing all this information. Um, but absolutely being in Twitter has must help you in becoming an entrepreneur as an author. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, sort of working in that space, you feel inspired, you feel like I can, I can do anything. Um, You're just around that energy, just, you know, you see things in a company getting executed at a very fast pace, Um, seeing, you know, I, I got to witness Twitter, Twitter, you know, kind of growing at such like a, a hyper speed. Um, so you definitely feel inspired. I definitely had that energy of like, you know, you can, you can start anything, you can do it. <laughs> um, you know, being in San Francisco, being in that world. Oh, so when did the, so were you still in Twitter when that transition happened? Um, walk me through that transition of becoming a motherhood and um, becoming an author. Yeah, so um, I actually left Twitter in 2015. So right when my son, Ricky, who's now six, um, was going to be born, I made the choice to switch careers and, um, you know, focus on on raising him. 
um, and make that transition into motherhood. And, you know, to be honest, it was, it was sort of a no brainer for me. Um, you know, I think the day I became pregnant, I, I sort of knew that that's where I wanted to focus my energy. And that was a choice that I was, I was choosing, um, to leave sort of the corporate world to, to make that transition. Um, so I, since 2015, I have you know, been a stay-at-home mom. I've been with uh, both my kids, who are, again, six and four. And the book actually, you know, evolved from motherhood. Um, you know, I think as I further down the journey of parenting and raising um, sick children, especially a young sick boy with, you know, this unique identity, um, the idea for the book just very naturally evolved for me. Um, and so it wasn't until he was three years old. So he was three years old. He was going to preschool and, you know, he came home from school one day and he just, you know, he pointed out to me, mama, no one, no one else wears a patka in my class. Um, you know, how come? And I, you know, obviously that question was going to come up at some point. Um, I, you know, I just wasn't, I honestly was not expecting it at such a, a young age. He was only three. Um, and so in that moment, you know, I thought, what if there's one thing that I want him to take away right now, like if I'm describing a patka to him and what he's wearing, you know, I want him to feel confident and proud, proud of it. Um, not feel like, you know, it's something that makes him different or that, that the difference is isolating. Um, and so in that moment, I said, yeah, you're right. Like, that's a great observation. You know, people have different color hair. They have different texture hair, different color skin. Some people wear a patka. Some people, you know, wear a hijab. Some people wear a yarmulke. Like, we're all different. Um, and then I, you know, I also described it to him and I was like, you know, you can wear a different color every day, every day you can, you know, you can choose a blue, you can choose a purple, red, and, you know, you can pretend to be whoever you want to be when you wear that too. And it was sort of just a narrative that resonated with him, um, when he was really young and I noticed, you know, he would get excited about choosing a different color. Um, and it sort of became like a thing in our household. Um, how we talked about it, it became this exciting thing to make that choice each day. And, you know, then COVID hit. And I, I just kind of sat with that idea. I, I said, you know, I, I really want to put something out there that just makes really young children just feel so proud. Like, this is amazing. You know, not not anything that's going to make them feel, you know, fearful or feel like they're they're different and that's a negative thing. I wanted to highlight the positive. And so I, I literally just ran with that idea. I ran with the narrative that I started with and I wrote it out on my iPhone. I typed it in my notes and, you know, I sent it to my husband, my brother, my sister-in-law, my, my sort of inner circle. I sent it to them and I was like, you know, am I crazy or does this sound really good? <laughs> and, um, you know, they were like, this is amazing. Um, but I, you know, I didn't do anything with it. I think we all have that inner voice, that, that fear guy in our brain that was like, no, like, who are you to be an author? Or, you know, this isn't, this doesn't really talk about, you know, sicky, you know, we shouldn't describe it this way. I, I had all these voices in my head sort of giving me every reason not to do anything with it. Um, and then 
I sat with it. I didn't do anything with it for almost a year. And I just could not shake the idea. I would keep rereading it. And I would tell myself, like, I can really see myself like reading this book to to a child, to my children. Um, and, you know, after after a year of it being there, I, I just decided I'm, I'm doing this, like, shut that voice up in your head and push this through and, and get it out in the world. Um, and so so I did it. And um, it's been incredible, like so rewarding to see children, um, you know, of, of all types, like not just Indian children, not just sick children, but, um, you know, of all religions and backgrounds, just reading it, embracing it. I've had a number of encounters here in St. Louis with whether it's Ricky's classmates or, you know, a friend of mine from high school whose children read the book and they can identify what a patka is. And it's just become like, you know, like a normal thing. Like people say like, oh, that's a yamaka or that's a hat. Like, oh yeah, that's a patka. It's it's just made it very um, normal, um, which has been probably the most rewarding thing for me. That is so beautiful. And you have me so emotional right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but that is so beautiful, honestly. Um, when I read it the first time, you know, my my son just looked at me. He's like, are you OK? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> I was like, it just like, you know, I also raised my little brother who is now 18. Um, but, you know, he had, you know, he still has a Judah and everything. But just knowing that when I was raising him, <laughs> I mm-hmm. wish I had something like this, you know, and right now it was just a full circle. It's like, now I have my own son and I'm reading this book and it exactly what you said. It's like, I can, I can see myself reading this, you know, and teaching mm-hmm. them the basics. Um, it's a constant, it's been a constant battle with my son and it's always about finding their comfort zone and understand, continue to teach them. Um, right. And teach them the proper way, not just, um, I hate to say it, but it's sort of toxic, sicky when you're sort of just pushing it on them without any kind of logic mm-hmm. or understanding um right so taking a step by step because they are going to see all sorts of stuff and they're going to question it and we as parents need to be ready for those questions right how are we going to navigate it yeah and I think you know you're a mother I I think one of my learnings on my journey is that you know kids want control we all want control um, and so if they, if we can build a framework, you know, you have to wear a patka. that's non-negotiable. It's just, it's a part of your, your attire. You're not dressed until you wear it, but you have the freedom to choose whatever color you want. You get to choose that. I'm not going to tell you how to match your outfit and this, that. Um, so kind of creating opportunities for them to be a part of the process I have found is it's empowering for them. Um, and in my experience, you know, there's, there's less pushback that comes with that because at the end of the day, it's, it's a control thing. No one likes to be told what to do all the time. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. And and now that you, you said it in such a simple term, like it makes sense why some kids, you know, they go the other way because they feel like they either haven't found themselves properly to fully embrace their identity or it, it is mm-hmm. is the control because their parents are just you know putting it on them like you got to do it you know or right. it's not right um but I love that you mentioned that absolutely and I I think 
you know, obviously I think all parents have some fear, right? Like we all want our kids to turn out perfect and be successful and do this, that, and the other, right? That's like the ultimate goal. Um, but for me, you know, I, I, like I just mentioned, I'm learning, you know, we control nothing. So if there's anything that I can control, it's, it's the narrative that my kid, my kid gets. It's the yeah. voice that he hears in his head. And that is that, you know, you are, he's confident, he's proud of who he is. And, um, you know, his external identity does not define him. Um, it's just, it's how he feels about himself and that pride that's going to carry him through the hurdles in his future. And I can't control, you know, if in 15 years from now, he chooses a different path, right? Um, that's not my preference, but th that this is his journey. Um, so my, my number one goal is to try to equip him with the tools that he, I think he will need um, and my daughter, by the way, that I think both of them will need um, in the future to overcome any sort of hardship and, and hurdles they're going to face. They're going to face. Mm. Yes, that is so true. I love that. Um, going back to where you're from, you know, yeah, I don't hear a lot of people in St. Louis. You don't hear a lot of Punjabi community there. So dealing with that, um, how is how am how am I gonna say this? With the identity, you know, going, I'm I'm sure your husband wears a bug and everything. Mm -hmm. How is the community there accepting? And did you face any kind of backlash or um yeah, any experiences there? You know, to be honest, growing up, I do not recall any sort of backlash or bullying or anything of the sort. Um, you know, I think I struggled with maybe my own insecurities with having long hair, um, you know, and my name being mispronounced, Those, you know, those things sort of, you know, on the first day of school, you're getting called Depika repeatedly. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit humiliating on that first day, um, you know, as a, as a child that's going through these transformative years. But I never felt that any person made me feel different. Um, I think it was my myself that made me feel different. And in my husband's case, you know, he is, he's very confident. His parents raised him to be very confident and comfortable with his identity. And, you know, I admire, I admire his journey, because he leaned into, you know, having a bug and wearing a patka and um, a beard, and he leaned into it. And he, it never, those things never, never shook him. So he leaned into it. He was confident, you know, him and his brother were president and vice president of their high school and they were involved. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I learned from that. I learned from that experience where I, I think, you know, gosh, they never felt like having a bug was like a, a negative thing. They never felt that that was something that could stop them from getting a certain job or it could stop them from pursuing an opportunity. They actually felt like it was something that made them more exceptional um, and something that was an asset, right, to be different. And I think that's amazing. And that is, you know, what's kind of always stuck with me was, you know, we have we have the control to to choose if we're going to feel um, different or if we're going to feel 
you know, like we have, we're even better. We're mm. amazing. Um, so I, I never experienced anything growing up, you know, again, never from the community um, here. It was always my own insecurities. Um, and, you know, coming back here, we did have, you know, some fears of, you know, coming back to a smaller town after being, you know, in these big cities. We were in San Francisco for 10 years and um, there was a little bit of fear, like, you know, what's it going to be like? Is it diverse enough? And to be honest, we have been um, we have been so blown away by just the kindness and curiosity of people. Um, we've actually had more conversations with people very openly and genuinely asking questions, you know, like, what what is that? Why does Ricky wear a patka? And just trying to understand the religion a little bit more. Um, and I, I think that openness and that curiosity was refreshing for us. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're in larger cities, our experience in San Francisco is, you know, we people just didn't take the time. They didn't take the time to to get to know their neighbors. Everyone's busy. Everyone's focused on their careers. And here we've just experienced people as um, cur openly curious and honestly, like treating people as as humans first. They don't care about your political views. They don't care about your you know, socioeconomic status. They don't care where you work. They don't care, you know, what your religion is, what you look like. You are a human. Um, and that has been our experience here, which is, um, it's been very, very warm and welcoming. That's beautiful to hear, you know, because you hear a lot about, you know, racism and, you know, Midwest um, states like that. But, you know, it is, you know, having those conversations, sometimes we get uncomfortable about having those conversations too with our neighbors, but we have to start getting uncomfortable and talking about Absolutely. it and educating about us because we are here, you know, these are our brothers or sisters, you know, our brothers wearing a term in our, you know, whatever it is. Um, but we have to have yeah. these conversations. Um, I yeah. was, go ahead. Um, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, I, no, I was, I was just going to say, like, I agree with you. I think, you know, I think we can either choose to play victim and feel like, you know, people don't know, and they make comments that we may, you know, we may take them as, you know, being racist or ignorant and whatnot. But, you know, when people make comments, or I read articles online, like, I, I tell myself, like, that just tells me that we have work to do. You know, we we need to reach out and get to know our neighbors. And, you know, I make it a point to volunteer at the kids' schools to, you know, dive into like play dates and having kids over and, you know, reading the book to them and telling them about the book. And, um, you know, I, I think when as a society, like when we know better, we can we can do better. Um, and so to me, it's it's like, yes, get to know your neighbors, get to have the conversations and also like lead with kindness like at the end mm. of the day we're we're all human um so if people can see you for who you are you know don't don't hide that from people mm. yeah that's so beautiful yeah does um does your son know about the current um ban on hijab and turbans right now he does not um you know i think i i think i'm a little bit selective with like what we share I think there's an age where I I think you know obviously mm -hmm. he's going to inevitably be exposed to to everything at some point with 
um, with the internet and whatnot. But, you know, for now, I think there's, there's an innocence and a purity that I, I want to preserve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they have, they have the rest of their life to, to deal with the realities of the world. And these, these adolescent years are so few. Um, so he does not know, um, nor do I, you know, at this age, like where it's so formative and I, you know, I'm working so hard to build this mm -hmm. confidence. Um, I, I don't want to, to share that at this age. Uh, that's so important. You say that because, um, dealing with my ex-in-laws, their mentality was eventually like, and I'm like, mm. why are you even saying that? Like, mm -hmm. we're not having this conversation. Um, right. But it was it, it was a constant thing with them. And with my family, my dad wears a turban, my nana G and my brother. So there's a constant person, you know, um, mm -hmm. a model. But those conversations are so important. What you're saying, that inner voice, that child's hearing, you know, that's what they're going to think about. You know, what what was your mom saying? You know, with your mom. Mm -hmm tired of combing his hair and you know <laughs> you know yelling him about it or was she combing and you know telling him stories and you know exactly what right. she said you know picking up parkes and having a good time with them instead of making it a a miserable task for them exactly and you know i think i think when you know kids are so perceptive they're they're so smart um you know, if Ricky at the age of three was picking up on this, you know, certainly there are other children at these very, very young ages that are observing and noticing things. Some may vocalize it, some may not. And, you know, I think when kids see their parents or, you know, adults around them emphasizing things, overemphasizing things like hair, fatka, Sikhism, um, you know, technology, screen time, like when things are so overemphasized, it, it almost, it, it does the opposite, right? Like we mm -hmm. overemphasize because we, we want them to know how important it is. But what they hear is like, oh, that seems like something that, you know, they're trying to control. That seems, you know, why, why is this so important? Why are they, you know, sizing this thing? And I actually think it puts up this antenna in their brain that actually, you know, kind of pushes them in the other direction. I, I think it's like counter counterproductive um, to what we're trying to do. And, you know, growing up the way my parents raised me and sort of exposed me to Sikhism was very, um, it was very hands off. It was always there, but it was never forced onto me. And, you know, and I, I personally, I love that. I don't know that it was, it, it was by design. <laughs> I, I don't think they intentionally did that, but however they did it, um, you know, I think has been so amazing for me. And that's, that's how I'm trying to pass it on to my children too, is expose them and, and not overemphasize, not, not push them. Because the second you start to overemphasize something, I think that's when they start to go in the other direction and try to push the envelope a bit and test their limits and, and whatnot. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel, you know, growing up, you know, our generation of girls, like I feel, you know, don't cut your hair. But like, as soon as you got finished your high school, that's the first thing you mm -hmm. did, right? Um, 100%. And but that exact by to your point, you know, not doing that control and letting, letting it just be there, you know, that's what I think for those who understood that, 
Siki, they were able to ground themselves even after whatever phases they may go through in life, you know, but they had that grounding point they could go back to. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as parents, that's what we need to make sure we don't need to push anything on them or nothing, nothing to control, just allow them to just absorb. And I think our own habits will obviously, they'll see that and they'll learn. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think understanding that our children, even though they are so young, um, we're all on our own journeys. We're all on our own religious journey, spiritual journey, personal journey, and giving them the exposure to it and letting them choose how they're going to pursue their journey is is the best we can do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I want to ask you, with all this mommy duty, how do you take care of yourself? How, what is your self? <laughs> um, good question. That's always the struggle, right? Finding the balance. Um, you know, I, I, by nature, am not someone that prioritizes myself. I am like, you know, D to the rescue. Always, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm like the healthy helperton, always wanting to help people and overextending and, Um, That has honestly been probably one of my biggest growth areas since becoming a mom was finding out how to prioritize myself and figuring out, you know, what fills my cup and what does that, what does that even look like? Um, So I think there, there are a few things that now, you know, I've, I've started to implement. um, And obviously with both kids being in school, I, I have a little bit more time to focus on that, but I, um, I have to start my day with a workout. As soon as the kids go to school, I, you know, I drop them off and I take my car straight to the gym um, and I sort of hit the reset button on my day. And um, more often than not, I actually exercise to Kirtan in my in my ears and my headphones. Um, and it's sort of meditative for me to just be running and listening to Kirtan. I, I get in a zone um, and that's sort of like my morning meditation, my reset for the day. Um, so that's been, you know, that's been sort of my daily, my daily habit that I've, I've started. Um, you know, I've been doing it pretty consistently now for, for two years. And I would say the second thing, you know, part of writing this book was to, you know, it gave me a creative outlet. It was like a passion project of mine. I'm, I'm very creative by nature. Um, you know, when the kids were home, uh, home and they were younger, you know, I was the mom that was sitting and doing crafts all day long. Like we would do projects, we would do, you know, we would be outside, we would build things, you know, we were just always creating. Um, and that was very fulfilling to me. Like I loved it. And, you know, once they went to school, I sort of, I had this time now, right? Like I, I, and figuring out how I wanted to use it and what I wanted to spend it on was, was a challenge because I do not feel like there's a career or a job that I, that I would want to go to right now um, where I would want to dedicate my time. And so, you know, writing the book has actually been a really fun and creative outlet for me and something that I can focus my, my energy on that's different from mommy duties, like you said, Um, So that has been, you know, something else that has just been very, um, very fulfilling for me over the past year. I love that. So we're going to be expecting more books then, huh? 
<laughs> I hope so. I, I have another one in the works, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a really fun, a really fun process. Um, it's it, honestly, it's never something that I thought I would be doing. But I, I also think like, once you have kids, like you, you like rebirth yourself, you, you learn so much about yourself, you that you know, you had no idea and your kids, honestly, um, I think push you to to grow and step out of your comfort zones and, and find yourself. Oh, yes, that's so true. I always say that, you know, with each child, you know, there's a different blessing or there's a different journey that you're about to embark on, you know, each birth, um, whether you're physically about to birth something or birth a project that, you know, but yep, absolutely. this journey is amazing. Um, and becoming an author, like, what was how did your kids feel about it? Did, were they part of the whole process or did they just see the finished product? No, they were, they were very much a part of the process. Um, you know, every time I would get illustrations in, I would show it to Ricky, uh, my son and, um, you know, just seeing his like face light up and, um, you know, there's a lot of elements in the book, like little details that are very specific to him and our family. So it, you know, it is subtly very personal. Um, and he, he loves it. It's like the, the sweetest thing, you know, one day some, someone was asking him, um, you know, what is, what's on your, what is that that you wear on your head? And, um, and he was like, oh, it's a putka. And he's like, you know, you should really get my mom's book it talks all about it and you know it was just the sweetest thing like seeing like how proud he felt and um you know like he he loves it and so many of his classmates have the book which i think is like amazing for him because it's just it's totally demystified his identity for them um so he he was very much a part of the process he loves it he loves seeing his friends with it he loves sharing it with people when they come over um, my daughter loves the book as well. There's, you know, at the end of the book, there's a picture, an illustration of our family, and she loves showing people herself. Um, and naturally, you know, she has been asking, <laughs> where is my book? Where is my book? When are you writing a book about me? <laughs> um, and so, you know, that has sort of been a work in progress to come up with something that that I felt connected to for little girls and um you know I have a version drafted I have a manuscript and I have read it to her and I mean their faces their reactions are are everything a mother needs to to keep going so Aww. I'm really excited about it oh that's so cute so there are literally live in action get to experience this happening that's so hundred percent yes and are so what are there do they know what they want to be when they grow up are they saying anything um they say a lot of different things (laughs) (laughs) um I have you know for Ricky we have gone everywhere from an astronaut to a sushi chef to an engineer um he's you know, all over, all over the map. Um, Serena, she wants to own a pet salon. That was one of them. She wants to be an actress. <laughs> um, she's she's also 
all over the map, but it's interesting that the careers that they, um, that they say are just very true to their personalities. Um, you know, Ricky is, he's the builder, he's the creator, he's the adventurous one, and he's obsessed with space and he loves sushi and he loves to build. So all three careers are like, you know, in line with his passions. And uh, Serena is like nurturing by nature. Um, you know, she loves to just care for all her stuffed animals. They all have a name. They all go to the salon very frequently at home. <laughs> she will spray all sorts of products on them. She will brush their hair. Um, so she's just very nurturing um, by nature. And she's also um, very theatrical. Like she is just a natural little actress. She can do the accents. She's fearless when it comes to sort of performing and um so it's it's interesting that they it's it's almost like they know their strengths that's so beautiful isn't it funny how when they don't have to worry about their appearance and they can just just imagine and just explore and create and just be themselves right yeah I mean they there are no limitations right like when you're so young it's like and that's what I love about kids it's just that that innocence of just I can be anything like I can just drum up any career possible and I like I can do that you know <laughs> there, there's the sky's the limit you're so right well this is so beautiful Deepika was there anything else you wanted to share with the listeners no I mean it was it was great to connect with you um you know I would just say if you if you haven't already checked out the book you know I it's it's wonderful. It's from straight from the heart. Um, you know, it's on Amazon. It's called What Color Is My Fatka? And, um, you know, you can follow me on social media for updates on on what is to come um, and to to get some more information and sneak peeks as I as I go down the the journey of, of creating creating a version two. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your beautiful day. Awesome. Thank you so much. Love to connect with you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Share New Vision Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It helps other lionists find the podcast. Stay connected with me on social media on Instagram at ShareNewVision. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get notified of weekly episodes, affirmations, healthy lifestyle tips, vegan recipes, skincare product recommendations, and newly added ShareNew Life's monthly book club. I'll see you soon. Sashriya